Turn with me to the 15th chapter of the book of Exodus. And in my mind, with so much going on in the realm of sickness specifically, I thought it was good that we be reminded and taught on this subject. When God says to Israel, and we'll see applications for us as Christians, when God says to us, I will put none of these diseases upon thee. So let's look at it. Exodus chapter 15 at verse 23 Children of Israel are traveling. They're going from place to place by the sole direction of God who's doing it through Moses. So Moses says, come on, it's time to go. And they go. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses. Notice this connection. God did the leading. They murmured against Moses. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them. That's a key word there. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. We have this promise that God said to Israel, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, where they were just held captive for over 400 years. Their ancestors, their progenitors were there for 400 years as slaves. God is saying what has happened to them won't happen to you, but there was a condition, if. There's four things there, but let's just round it off to one thing. If you obey me, if you'll do what I tell you to do, they already knew what God had said. They knew the moral law, the Ten Commandments. They knew these things. But God said, if you do them and you obey me, then you'll not suffer the things that the Egyptians suffered when I delivered you from Egypt. Now, for us, Egypt becomes a type of the world and its system and its values and its way of thinking. And then over here, there's the kingdom of God, which Christ came to establish which is being established and will be finalized when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. None of these diseases. I want to let you know that I am frequently challenged by things I read in the scriptures, whether it's for obedience or to ask myself, do I actually really truly believe this? Does my behavior betray the fact that I actually believe this? I would suggest that you do the same when you read your Bible, especially some of those of you who have been reading for quite a while. You are acquainted with the Bible. Do not become so acquainted with the Bible that when you're reading a passage, you're saying to yourself, I already know this, finish my devotions, and we're done. It was Keith Green, I believe, who had a message turned into a tract on whether it's devotions or being devoted. We want both time and a period when we're reading our Bibles. Prayer should be throughout the day, all day long, because we're devoted. God said to do it, and so we do it. Whenever things have not gone my way or haven't gone right in my life, I have enough sense to not question God. God, what are you doing? 
I mean, sometimes I ask him that just so I have wisdom. But what I mean by that is that I know God is perfect. I know that God cannot make a mistake. I know that he's all-knowing. I know these things. So I always look inside. It's just like when I took algebra twice. I never made the assumption and then stood up and told the algebra teacher, you know, what's wrong with you? This is not the answer. Your answer is wrong. I got it. I always made the correct assumption that he was the teacher. He knew algebra, and I didn't, which in the end was the correct assessment. He was the teacher. He knew his subject. I did not. When I make a mistake in math now, it's the same thing. I don't question mathematics. I question my ability to do mathematics. When you approach the Bible and your experience is not matching what the Bible says, question yourself, not what this book says. For example, we prayed and sang, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Now, there's a lot said in the Bible about the joy of our salvation. Last week, I mentioned to you, Jesus said to look up when we see all these things, and I'll use the phrase that we would ordinarily use, when things are going wrong. What's going on in the world? We heard that today. I mean, every day that you look at the news, read the news, watch the news, it's another installment of some huge disaster. Even in local communities like our own, there's all these astonishing things happening all the time. The recent flooding in New Jersey, New York City, and then again, pestilences and all these different things. When these things happen, Jesus said, look up, it's going to get better. And that's a mild statement. When we talk about the kingdom of God is going to be established. Jesus said that these signs would precede his arrival, his final arrival. First coming, death on the cross, resurrection, the gospel preached, the gospel given. Second time, it's over. It's all over. He said, when you see these signs, look up, because your redemption is very close. It's very near. And that's where we get the joy of our salvation. Doesn't mean we're superficial people. Doesn't mean we're ignorant of the circumstances. Doesn't mean we don't care about people who are troubled, depressed. As you know, I do a small 15, 20-minute teaching every day, or most days, on depression, anxiety, which I've renamed now the Oasis, in the hopes that people can find some respite, along with some exhortation and a little bit of teaching. So we care. And I told you that there is a young woman who checks us in and out at the gym there, checks us in, and she made the remark that you're always humming. And I told her that the reason I'm humming is because I'm not singing. But I've had people make remarks, you know, friends of mine make remarks about the singing. Why are you singing and all of that? The song says, I sing because I'm happy. Now, if that translates in your mind that I wish I had Pastor Ray's life because he just has it easy, that's why he's happy. That's not the case at all. Trust me. It's not an easy life. Not at all. Lots of disappointments. Lots of trials. Lots of temptations. Lots of tribulations. But I have learned, and I want you to learn, how you can override your feelings and your emotions by an act of the will. I sing because I'm happy. That doesn't mean emotionally you're happy doesn't mean we're happy about the events going on in the world. But hopefully maybe somebody will say to you, you're always humming or you're always singing. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For if his eye is on the sparrow, I know he's watching me. So today I want to deal with the subject of sickness. And as I approach this, it came to me to say first to myself, now to you. You know, this is a voice in my head, which wasn't mine. It wasn't God's. How can you talk about it? Well, you're always asking for prayer for this and prayer for that. You know that I have heart disease. I have had open heart surgery and some other things as well. 
And I'm telling you, the first thing that I apply is, okay, where am I missing this? I don't look at the word and say, well, you know, see, this is the problem with theologians and preachers and teachers. Since the word is saying one thing, their experience contradicts it, they start to say, well, you see, that was for them. Well, we go over to the New Testament and they say, well, that was for them. But as literalists, which many churches are, we take the Bible literally, we must look at the Bible and say, okay, where did I miss it? Where am I missing it? Now, I won't go through some of the things that I've found in my own life. Thankfully, it's not gross, gross sin, but missing certain principles. And usually it's the small ones. And here, when I come to this subject, I hear a voice and say, how can you preach about none of these diseases? You have diseases. My answer to that was that doesn't matter what my experience is. It only matters what the book says. Watchman Nee, who wrote several books, but the most ponderous work that he did is called The Spiritual Man. We had copies of it here. We were giving away. I've given some copies to some of you. It's a significant work on the division of the spirit, soul, and body. And at the end of the book, he deals with the subject of divine healing, which at that point was reintroduced into Christianity in the early part of the 20th century, and it was becoming controversial. Again, there were people saying, what was for then? Jesus only healed the sick to prove he was God. And I've always told you this. If I were God, I could find some really creative ways to prove I'm God. For instance, if I wanted to get the people of the world's attention, I'd throw the world up in the air, whack it with a bat, bring it back, and say, I am God. And everybody said, you're God, you're God, you're God. <laughs> Jesus didn't heal the sick because he was trying to make a point about his deity. He healed the sick because they were sick. Amen. He healed the sick because he is, as we read here in Exodus 15, he is Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord that heals us. He's the Lord that heals us. And so Watchman Nee had many trials in his own life, one of which was the frailty of his body. And when he deals with the subject of divine healing, I want to read his words to you from the spiritual man. And this is what he said. Considering the frailty of my body, I would seem to be the least qualified to write on such a matter. Perhaps, though, this very frailty affords me a deeper insight since I suffer more weakness, sickness, and pain than most people. Countless times, my courage has seemed to fail, but thank God I have been able to finish writing this portion of the book. I hope those who have had similar experiences in their earthly tents will accept what I have written as offering some light out of the darkness through which I have gone. Now, reading that to you, because I remembered it in my own case, because my experience and things that you know and you've prayed for me for, some things you don't know and pray for me anyway, I look to match my thinking with the book, the Word of God. And this is what Watchman Nee is saying, because he was so frail and weak and many times discouraged. Something, by the way, we never picture with biblical characters, which is a mistake, and other characters in the church. It's a mistake, as I told the audience, the subscribership that watches a small broadcast I do on anxiety and depression, that I go through the same stress that you do. It's no different. In fact, I think in a lot of ways it's worse. But that doesn't negate the word of God. I think about the 91st Psalm, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. I don't say to myself, well, plague came nigh my dwelling, came in my dwelling, therefore I dismiss it. It's not for me, it's not for today, and all that. No. I say, okay, if I missed it, I missed it. I'm going to endeavor to not miss it the next time. And there's a lot to say on this subject. There really is. Of little things that we're doing as Christians, where God said not to do it. And I don't mean even the Ten Commandments. 
Committing adultery, that should be obvious, but it doesn't seem to be obvious in the church today. And fornication, lying, stealing, all the things. Because these are major things going on inside the church today. And they should be obvious that those things are not going to bring a blessing, but it doesn't seem to be so. But when you are serious about the Bible and what it says, and some things are happening where there's a promise left to you and it's not coming to pass, you start to look at yourself. Here's one for you. This is a challenge to me. In Matthew chapter 17, at verse 17 through verse 20, prior to verse 17, the disciples are trying to cast the devil out of somebody, and they're not having any success. To me, that represents the church today. Powerless. Try to cast the devil out. Devil's still there. Devil's not moving. They come to Jesus, and they say, after they were unsuccessful, we've seen you cast devils out. We've seen you heal. Why couldn't we do it? How come it didn't work for us? In John 17, 17, Jesus answered, and this is interesting because it does reflect the nature of God and sometimes how he's looking at you and me. He says, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. He cast the devil out. And then they ask him again. They said, well, why couldn't we do this? At verse 20, he says, because of your unbelief. Then he goes on to tell us, for if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove then this for me this is a challenging verse Matthew 17 20 and nothing shall be impossible unto you now we know that nothing shall be impossible with God and now that we have God in us Christ in us the hope of glory Jesus is saying if you perfect your faith and work on believing me and that comes through obedience we'll talk about that we come to this promise nothing shall be impossible unto you Think of it. You say, oh, I'm the least even in my church. My faith is not considered strong. That's a mistake to think that Jesus is not saying that to you. You, because you're weak or the weakest, as Watchman Nee says here, because the power is still of God. It's not of us. With God, nothing is impossible. Luke chapter 1 is recorded there. But now he's saying that if you would believe, obviously it's believing in God and his power and his willingness to answer prayer, nothing will be impossible to you. That is a great promise and a great challenge. Let's not mitigate the promises of God by our experience, which doesn't match up. Oh, I tried praying and it didn't work. Then try praying again. Try standing up against the mountain and tell it to move and tell it to remove. Because that's what Jesus said. It would remove. It will remove. Now, with this in mind, let me just share a little bit about what's going on here in the life of Israel. We already know that they have been delivered from 430 years of Egyptian bondage, and they were even reluctant to leave, let alone now walk in a desert. I've actually never been in a desert, but anyone can figure out that being in a desert day after day, month after month, then finally year after year is not going to be a pleasant experience. And we can make an analogy between that and what God tells us, Jesus tells us, about embracing the cross and the crucified life. You see, the answer to all these things is found in Romans 6 and Romans 8 and Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 2, and other places that we are crucified with Christ. And to live the crucified life, to put the natural man away, and he hangs on the cross with Christ so that the spirit can be released, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, with our spirit. But without that, we're walking, groping in the dark, wondering why this doesn't work. 
And in order to, in our minds, to say faithful God, we just keep claiming that scripture and we'll argue it and we'll debate it. But the truth of it is, the church lacks power. And that's the truth. And so what do we say? God, you let us down. No. No, it's the other way around. We let God down. You know, I'm coming down Route 30. Now, let me just tell you a couple of things. I'm the founder of the Time for Truth, so you can't fire me. So don't try one of those, we're going to have a church meeting, get rid of you. You'll be gone long before I will. But I thought to myself, I came down the street just well, a little while ago, and everybody's hiring. And I came past, well, the local steward chair, and it says, we're hiring. I said, boy, that would be interesting. If I went to work, which I won't, got Home Depot. From what I'm doing now, from people stopping by my house and text messages and all this stuff all day long, seven days a week, I think to myself, um, where's the duct tape? I-11. Uh, where's the lumber that's down the other end of the store? Hi, nice to meet you. You know where the plumbing supplies? That's aisle 16. Check, go home, done. All done. That's not my calling. I'm designed to be here. My point is this. There's always something that looks better than the old rugged cross of Christ that we are designed to carry. This is why so many churches have adulterated the gospel. Draw people in and tell them, don't worry about that cross business and the holiness business and the sanctification business. And don't go listen to that guy that preaches for a solid hour. You know the story. We'll get you in and out and all this stuff. It's an accommodation. But unfortunately, and I'll say this prophetically, I truly believe it is where we're headed. This is going to come up and really bite people in short order in this world. I mean, those that profess Christ, because it's not going to work. It's not working now. It's not going to work. You can't entertain people. I know that at times I can be entertaining, but I'm not an entertainer. We cannot entertain people, give them a little, little bit of this, and there you go. No. It has to be the whole full-blown dose. So here you have Israel. They're just released from Egypt, and they did not have it easy in Egypt, and we did not have it easy in the world. Correct? Remember the time you were on drugs, and you were alcoholic, and your marriage broke up, or all these things, sick and dying, whatever it was unhappy, and so forth. So we look at that, but there's times when you're walking in the Lord when that looks like that was better. I, well, we had so much fun. Think about it carefully. It wasn't all that much fun, because if it was, you wouldn't be here. We came here because it wasn't that much fun. It wasn't that good. Now, Israel is called out of Egypt, and we have to see that what is put before them is not an easy task. But I'll say this, along with this corporate testing, we read that right in the verse, I said pay attention to that. He says, I'm going to prove you. God proves his people, Old and New Testaments, by testing. With this proving, there's a corporate testing going on in their lives. They're in a desert. There is no place to get water except these oasis, like Elam was one of them. There's no place to get food. They have nothing but for that day. I will say it this way, they had no option but to trust God, and they didn't even do that. They kept complaining to Moses. You got us into this mess. So I want to talk a little bit about the tests that Moses, the leader, went through. I always admire Moses. I admire the Apostle Paul and, of course, Jesus, and these characters of the Bible who were in leadership positions, prophets. You think of prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, even Isaiah. They had it easy. Go tell the elders this, and it wasn't good prophecy. Destruction of the temple, you're going to be taken captive. Yet you have to admire these leaders, the prophets, the kings, and then now I go to Moses. Moses explicitly told God from the beginning, I don't want to do this. I do not want to do this. I don't want to do this. I can't talk. I'm not a good speaker. 
He said, okay, Aaron will be your prophet. I'll talk to you, you tell Aaron, and Aaron will do the talking. As he goes through this desert with the people constantly complaining, there's no water, there's no food, and you have to understand that there wasn't any water, and there wasn't any food. Moses is put in this unenviable position of having to go back to God and say, now what do we do? They come to a place of water here in Exodus 15, Marah, but they can't drink it. And they're thirsty. They're in the desert, just like we now are in the world. We're in this world. We're in this desert, but we're not of this world. We're not of this desert. We live by a different, can I use the word rules? We live by a different set of rules. One that says, have faith in God and trust his word. But as you're being tested, the natural part of you says, I don't want to be tested. I want to be comfortable. And you're not going to be comfortable. There's nothing comfortable about carrying your cross in Christ. However, that's the deliverance. Paracrucamus, through the cross, we have victory. The personal application of the cross. Let's look at Moses. Then said the Lord unto Moses, this is Exodus chapter 16, the next chapter, verse 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them. This is the second time he's saying it. And there's other instances where God said this too. Listen, though, listen. They shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them. And what was he looking for? Whether they will walk in my law or no. Whether they will obey me or not. We may say safely, now, the purpose of test is to see if we're going to really obey God, if we're going to take a stand, if we're not going to compromise, if we're not going to mitigate the scriptures, amend them, or adulterate them. This is what they say. That's what they mean. This is what I aim to do in my personal life and what I aim to do with you. Some will not stay. Some have not stayed. Some stay for a season, then they're gone. And I'm going to say something here. This is the time for truth and certainly a time to be blunt in certain ways. Oh, we're going to another church. That's not really accurate. This is not Memphis. Where we're at right now on the earth, this is not Memphis. Memphis is the most biblically literate city in America. Here, we are number 100. We're exactly the polar extreme. We're at the exact opposite end. And many times in this area here, if you can find a church that still preaches the gospel and doesn't water it down or whatever, adulterate it, this idea of going off someplace else is a type of Peter when he said, I'll die for you. But as Jesus is going to the cross, he's slowly walking this way. And it says, Peter followed afar off. He could have made the argument, because he was following. He could have made the argument if someone challenged him and said, how come now you're walking behind the Lord? You used to walk with him. Hey, don't examine my heart. You don't know my heart. I'm walking with him, aren't I? But he really wasn't. It was that affinity that people have when they want to say, well, I'm going to church. That's not the question. Are you serving the Lord? Are you serving the Lord with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength? That's what's really the issue, the real issue. Are you serving Christ? So I say to you that I have a great admiration for Moses because whatever is not going Israel's way, he gets blamed. Then Moses goes back to God and says, I can't carry, I'm not their mother. That's what he said. I'm not their mother. I didn't nurse them. I didn't give birth to these people. You see, you have to understand that it's, an, well, I mean, for me, it's an encouragement to look at the biblical characters and realize that they think the same thing that we do. Why'd you call me? I mean, why'd you put me in this position, God? And God says, a little further along in the book of Exodus, I will go with you, and my presence shall be with you. Because God originally said, you know what, I'll send an angel. Go with Moses. And Moses said, mm-mm, no, I don't want an angel. I want you. I want you. 
in our New Testament, we have Jesus saying, I will be with you always. In addition to angels and other benefits that we have, we have these promises. Moses did not have it easy. Moses was like, I want to say all, so I will, like all the prophets. So, whoa, no, I don't do this. Like Jeremiah and Jonah too. And God said to Jeremiah, don't tell me you're just a kid. Or I'll confound you the way I'm going to confound them. See, God has a way of persuading you when you're a leader. So Moses has it rough, but God is telling Moses, I'm going to test these people. I want to see if they're going to obey me or not. And here's something I want to ask you now. Because in your heart of hearts, you know and you know. And only you know, perhaps. Are you truly serving the Lord? Because God is going to prove all of us. The tribulation, the great tribulation, the Greek word thalipsis means stress. Everybody's talking about it. People are dealing with horrible things. I know because I'm hearing them. They're coming to me, some. The stress is tremendous. For those of us walking with Christ, we are being tested by God himself to see, are we going to obey the Lord or follow the crowd? It's important that we understand this. We read from Peter's epistle that he says, don't think it's a strange thing concerning the fiery trial that has come to test your faith. And we do. And a lot of this belongs to the fact that we, I say we, people listen to these preachers up there prancing around like banting roosters about how easy they got. They got pictures of their, they don't have homes, they have compounds. And then you compare and you say, well, my face's not like that. Let me tell you something. I was on the phone. I had an interview from my insurance company. Just like, hey, we just want to see how you're doing. And I said, yeah, that's fine. That's good. It was a nurse. It's a woman. We got into a little discussion, and this conversation kept going over to Christ. And so she started talking to me about the Lord. And I was sharing with her certain principles like this one, the testing and trials and what times were faced. And she said to me, she said, boy, you're the real deal. Now, God knows if I am or I'm not, but I know this, and I'm asking you, you know in your heart of hearts, are you the real deal? Perfect, you're not. That we know. Struggling, you are. That we know. But do you have in your heart of hearts the assurance that it's all out, that the pedal's down to the metal, and that when you read the book and you say to yourself, when you close the book, you say to yourself, Lord, help me to perform that. Years ago, my wife and I were saved in an Italian church, an Italian denomination, Malon. And um, there was a little Italian woman who uh, just read the scriptures, read the scriptures, and her son was going into the ministry, and he had, like I do, just a huge library of books. So she said to her son one day, she said, books, you got the books. All these are books. You read all these books. She said, I got one book. And she said, what I do is I read the, I read the scripture. Then I close it, and I say, I got to do with the scripture. <laughs> then I read another scripture. Then I got to do with the scripture. You see, that's what God wants. You could fill your head with all kinds of knowledge, including Bible knowledge, but if you don't put it to work, if you don't do it, it's worthless. Worse than that, it can be deceiving. You want the freedom, you want the liberty, you want to be able to say, wow, my world is now opening up to the fact that nothing is impossible to me. Then you have to obey the Lord. You have to pay the price. We know Christ paid the price. And so God shows him a tree that he throws in water. And the word has become sweet. And this is when God gives the instruction. If thou wilt diligently obey the voice of the Lord thy God and walk in his statutes and keep his commandments and all these things, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, in your heart, I don't need an amen. I don't need anything. I want you to decide whether you believe that. In the first place, 
to be sick unto death when it's not necessarily because of violation of Scripture means that's it. Your ministry is over or your mission is over and you're going to go home and be with the Lord. I thought that was a blessing. Boy, wouldn't it be a disappointment if you go to heaven and all over the place there's CNN on? If it is, you're not in heaven. And now you know you've missed it. But isn't it a blessing to be able to leave the body, drop anchor, and go and be with the Lord? That's the worst that can happen to any of us. Let me share something with you that's on my heart. These little things, fear, anger, envy, bitterness, well, of course, lust, sexual lust, lust for money, it doesn't matter. These are the things that are ruining our health. Because God said, don't do these things. We look in the church, and I got 44 years of ministry under my belt, and who's bitter at who, and who don't want to talk to who. And then what? What are we singing when we sing about, <laughs> they will know we're Christians by our love. Well, that's the right scripture. But how about we actually do it? Then we'll enjoy the benefit. Then this becomes the oasis. I still look forward to coming here and being with you. I truly do. Some have written to me and said it's the highlight of their week, but what you may not know is the highlight of my week as well. I love being with the brethren. My job is to keep the sheep from biting each other, but still... For the most part, it's pleasant. And I want to say something to you, too. You've made pastoring you easy. Because for the most part, again, you're compliant and you know that you love the Lord. That's good for me, as much as it's good for you. Moses didn't have that privilege. They were always complaining, always bringing it to Moses. You got us in this spot. You let us here. We told you we didn't. And then they wanted to make a captain and go back to Egypt. So look at this time of testing. In Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verse 11 Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? What did I do to deserve this? And he's talking about going into ministry. Now, I meet so many young people, most of them are men, so excited about ministry. I'm not going to be the Johnny Raincloud and tell them what they'll eventually learn. It's not easy. Not if you're a true man or woman of God. It's not easy. It's a constant testing, a constant straining at the bit, if you will. It's not all moonlight and roses. That's what Moses is saying. Why did you give me this burden? Why are you afflicting me like this? By the way, Jeremiah said the same thing. Why are you afflicting me? Why did you give me this burden? And here's something else, very peculiar, how God actually treats his servants. We talk about the blessings, but look at, try walking in a desert for 40 years. That would be basically the length of my ministry where we're just going around in circles because the people sinned. And of course, we know that Moses missed it in one place at least when he struck the rock twice when he was supposed to speak to it. And he yelled at the people because he had a temper. Moses had a temper. He said, how long do we have to fetch water for you rebels? When he strikes the rock, God says, you know what? You're not going in either. However, I can mention this. God gave Moses a really good funeral. I mean, he conducted it. He buried him. Nobody knows where Moses is buried. Nobody knows. So he had a good funeral. God is exacting. And more so when you're in a position of leadership. You say, oh, I'm glad I'm not a pastor then. Are you a father or mother? Hmm? Then you're in a position of leadership. And if all your children don't obey the Lord, you still must. Because God has commanded us, Christ has commanded us, that we cannot love father, mother, husband, wife, children, no one more than him. And that can be very difficult at times. Because we're not always surrounded by the luxury of everybody saying, good move, Dad. <laughs> hey, a little aside here. You wonder why pastors' children are reluctant to come to church or they give up or they get in trouble? Well, sin is one reason. That's the main reason. But another is they see so much. And they see how people treat them. In my case, their father. These things still are brought up from time to time. How did Dad, you know? 
It's not easy. The burden is very heavy. That's what Moses is saying. Why have you afflicted me? Why have you done this to me? But God is merciful and God is good. And all the way, God continues to provide for Israel. Now, I want you to think from Israel's point of view. Again, they're in a desert. It's not like they're, you know, if you've got RVs, and maybe some of you do, and you travel to campgrounds, you plug in your electric, there's running water, there may even be a food store, at least there's one nearby, you get in your car, everything's convenient. Oh, you say, I'm roughing it. <laughs> Seriously? That's roughing it? I know how much RVs cost. Do you know how much they cost? It costs more than my house, I'll tell you that much. A lot more than my house. Okay, so people do it, and you're not roughing it the way they did. Israel now. Let's look at it from their point of view. They have no idea where they're going. The problem is when they ask Moses, he has no idea. After they've been rejected from Palestine temporarily, it's a day-by-day process. And what did Jesus tell you and me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It just may get down to this in America that we're going to go one day at a time. There are certain days in my life I'm going one hour at a time. I said to myself, I'll just the next 60 minutes, that's all I'm going to concentrate on. Which, by the way, is a great technique and it really helps. If you think too far down the road, it can really be producing anxiety or indoor depression. But it may be, I hope that we don't see that, I'm just saying, it may be, if we think of the Great Depression, for example, it may be that we are brought down through the discipline of God which actually would be a good thing, as opposed to his ultimate judgment, to look at God and say, God, you have to provide for me today. I need you now. I want to say to you that I find a kind of a strange consolation when there is no one else to trust but God. Now, maybe you found the same thing. You've run out of options, and we say this in a kind of a casual way, so, well, going to have to pray. And don't you think we've missed the whole point? God says, seek first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. First. And we say, oh, you know what? I got to get along with God. And I got to really pray this through because you tried everything yourself first. Now, the lesson there is don't do it first yourself. Go to God. Get instruction. And become a wise man, wise woman. And do it God's way from the very beginning. We have so much to be thankful for, grateful for. Though we, like Israel, are being tested. And I can tell you, of course, I'm not Moses, but how many times something's going wrong in somebody's life and they blame me. Let me say something to you, all right? This is an experienced pastor speaking. People leave the church. Do you realize that the majority, the great majority, leave the church because there's something wrong with A, the pastor, B, the people, C, the people and the pastor? That's why I'm going. And they never consider that there possibly could be something wrong with them. Does it ever enter their minds that, well, I'm leaving the church because there's something wrong with me? You know, in 44 years, I have never, never heard anybody say, I'm leaving because there's something wrong with me. Never. It's always somebody else. And so we look at Shakespeare, and he said, you know, in his Julius Caesar, The fault, dear Brutus, lies not in our stars, it lies in ourselves. You don't have the ability to change anyone else, but you do, through God's grace, have the ability to change yourself. Again, people come to churches. I know because I was a pioneer pastor, meaning that we had just very few people, and they come in, and where's the nursery? So, well, we don't have a nursery. But I would say, if God actually led you here, why don't you help us start one? Oh, well, you know, we don't want that. What do you want? 
You want a fast food place where you have it your way? How come no one comes into the church and says, I've come here to serve. I've come here to give something, not get something. Of course, it's both. You know that. But the point is this. We have many promises, exceeding great and precious promises, given to us in the book. But we must do it God's way. It is the only way. We have Christ as our healer. A promise made to Israel, someone to argue the point. So that was made to Israel and was based on the Torah, was based on the law. All right, fine. There's applications in my view, but fine. But no one can deny when you read through Matthew, you read through Mark, Luke, John, you read through the book of Acts, the healing power of Christ was there all the time. All the time. Did people have it easy? No. A lot of these apostles, in fact, almost all of them, died. I mean, they were martyred, I mean. But they were able to go to God and pray, and God healed the sick. Remember Mark chapter 16? And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, speak with new tongues. They shall lay their hands on the sick, and they shall what? Recover. Recover. That's what Jesus said. They will lay hands on the sick. And they shall recover. It doesn't say they weren't going to be sick. It said when they're sick, they're going to recover. Christ is our healer. And we must have faith in that. Look with me, if you have your Bibles. At John 17, I was quoting earlier, verses 17 through 20. Then answered Jesus and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? The boy that was demon-possessed, bring him hither to me. Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. That, I told you, is a challenging verse, a good challenge, a challenging verse for me, one that I intend on keeping before my eyes and remind myself, this is what the Master said. It doesn't matter what every other Christian teacher, theologian, Bible scholar says. This is what Jesus said. Nothing shall be impossible to you if, and there's the if, you believe the Word of God, which implies obedience. Years and years ago, I could give you many, many stories, but I want to tell you one that came to my mind in preparation for this message. Years and years ago, when I had only my youth group, we used to have time, as we do here, and it's periodic now, but we used to have time at the altar, the so-called altar. We would anoint people and pray for them. During those years, early years of my ministry, people were just coming in the door. They were drug addicts. They were convicts or ex-convicts. They were drug dealers, and a lot of people with a ton of problems. One night, they brought in, up from the Bronx, a young woman. She was in her eighth month of pregnancy, and she was a heroin addict. She had been shooting heroin for the entire duration of her pregnancy. The prognosis was the baby is either going to be stillborn. First of all, you can't go through natural childbirth because the baby is so, so small, and it should be much heavier. So you can't pass the baby to begin with. Probably going to be stillborn. When you do, take it by a C-section. And the prognosis went down this road. I remember her standing there just crying and weeping. This is a heroin addict, pregnant. And it's interesting, isn't it? Even though things happen to you with drugs and alcohol, you don't want to see it happen to your kids. Well, she was just being a mother. And she cried and she cried. 
And I found coming out of my mouth the scriptures. I said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. I asked her, do you believe? She said, yes. A few of us laid hands on her. Another month went by. She went into labor. I said, okay, well, let's let it go. We're not going to do the C-section. Let's see what happens. She gave birth to a totally normal, healthy baby boy who now would be probably in his 30s. What the doctors said were going to happen, which quite frankly would be what the evidence pointed to, did not happen at all. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. She brought him back to the church two years or so later. He's a little kid with platinum blonde hair, blue eyes. I mean, a beautiful looking kid. And what's very interesting about this woman is that she never really made a commitment to Christ. Not that I know of. And that's what we see in the gospel. That God is so good that he touches even the ungodly. We'll give them an answer to prayer, or in this case, we'll say a miracle, even if they, in the final analysis, don't repent and turn to him. How much more than his own children? Listen, Jesus said, if you, being evil, and you're saying, Pastor, who, me? I'm talking to you. Not the church across the street, not the church up the street. You. If you, being evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to them that ask? Now I jump over to James and says, you have not because you ask not. You ask and don't receive because you ask and miss that you may consume it upon your lust. But just sticking with what Jesus said. He said, if you are evil and sinful, but your children said, dad, mom, can I have some bread? You don't hand them a rock. It's Jesus' words. If they ask for fish, you don't hand them a snake. Jesus' words. He says, now if you won't do that, do you think your father will? Look at it, folks. Sickness is not a blessing. It can come from sin. We don't have time to talk about all the dynamics of why and how. But sickness came into the world through disobedience to begin with. But it doesn't have to be because of sin. It can be. It doesn't have to be. But if we, being sinful and all these things, and we're going to God who's perfect, perfect in his love, perfect in every way, like Jeremiah, and say, heal me, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. Or in the book of Isaiah, is the Lord's arm shortened that it cannot save God can't reach you. He doesn't have the power to reach you. He doesn't have a long enough arm to reach you. Is he deaf? That's what it means by heavy. Is his ear heavy? That when you're praying, he's not listening. He can't hear you because he doesn't have his hearing aid in. Every word you've ever uttered, every single word, has been recorded. God knows you. He knows where you're at. Hey, here's one for you. It says careful in the King James. I'll translate. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. And the peace of God, it's Philippians chapter 4, and the peace of God, which surpasses human understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So when you go in tomorrow and you swipe your little card there, and someone's going to say, you're always humming. And tell them that's because right now it's not proper to sing. But give me a couple minutes when I'm a few steps away from this desk and I'll start singing. Told you about the woman who got down off the treadmill. She was angry with me. I was on the rowing machine at the time. I was just singing. I like to sing. She came down in a huff. She had her iPod in. She know you're singing so loud. I can hear you right through my iPod. I said, no. And I didn't. Oh, I didn't. Well, you can. And I said, okay. Oh, just a little bit of that stubborn Irishman. <laughs> you say, oh, everything's so good in your life. No, it's not. 
I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For if his eye is on the sparrow, I know he's watching me. Make up your own song. Oh, God is good. All the time. He hasn't changed. We're going to see a lot of changes in the world. And they're coming rapidly. That statement was given to me yesterday by a man, a young man, who I've known all his life, who I asked him, I hadn't seen you, what's going on? And he was video chatting with a friend of him. Both of them are in the military. And his friend of his committed suicide in front of him on the video chat. What do you say? This is the type of world we're living in. Let's be real about it. That would not be a time for me to start singing. It's not appropriate. But later on, when I realized that I'm in the oasis, I'm in Elam, and I started singing again. Because I don't try to control things I cannot control. And at this stage of my life, I try not to think about things that I can't change. But I can pray. Walked up to someone yesterday as well. Actually, it was two different people. Stuck out my hand and said, just want to let you know I've been praying for you. And very, very grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Somebody else stopped by the house talking about her husband that passed away. I was good friends with him. I said, I've been praying. And I do. I do pray. We can't change everything. And things are coming at us so quickly. As Mario said earlier, we don't know what's going on from day to day. But God does. God does. And you must believe that. You must walk out of this building with a confidence that you're going to build upon. That says, and I always say this to you, right? When God put judgments on Egypt, it was one city. There was no judgments. Goshen. Why? Because God had and still has a plan for Israel. Good news. God has a plan for his church. That's you. Not this building. Any building. He has a plan for you. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. They'll not prevail. For no weapon formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn it. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. And I will put none of these diseases upon thee. I don't suggest that you do foolish things and put God to a test tempting him. Jumping off a building because in his hands the angels would bear thee up. Jesus didn't. And that's appropriate. We're not going to put God to a test. However, as look at Matthew chapter 24. Didn't we read about pestilences? Okay. Can we expect more? I think so. I really do. That's my view. I do not believe what we're saying is going to get better on the short scale. I believe it's going to get worse. What are you going to do? We have no option but to stay calm. Keep believing and move forward. Keep going forward. Keep believing the Lord. Do any of you wrestle at night in your sleep? I'm just curious. Toss, turn, up a lot. Some of it could be, you know, your age. Can I see your hands one more time? It's a lot of people, right? How many times when you wake up, a little word goes in your head? Oh, that's a heart attack coming on. There goes your stomach. It's shot. This is no good. How many of you can say, yeah, sometimes I get those thoughts as well. Sometimes people, many people say, God doesn't love you. And you think you're really saved in all this. Well, that has a source. And if you're going to acknowledge Christ as a real historical person, we have to acknowledge Satan. Because Jesus, right here in the text that I just read to you, he constantly dealt with Satan. And we have to realize this is the real battle. We have the privilege of believing God and trusting God and going forward. And here, one last thing. The last person I talked to last night, other than my wife, before I went to bed, made mention of something I'm hearing from so many, many people. She said, this is a scary world. And she's older. 
I said, I know. She said, I always quote that scripture. I can do all things through Jesus. I said, God is God. He cannot change. And he will be with us always, even to the end of the age, always. Nothing that comes up against us can defeat us. We have been given the gift of eternal life. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Let's go before the Lord. Father, today we bless you and we praise you. Here, God, we take prudent cautions with our health. We see doctors, take the medicine if we have to, or whatever it means. But our hope is not in the physician. Our hope is in the great physician, Jesus, Jesus. And you said that you would put none of these diseases upon us. In Psalm 91, you said that neither shall any plague come nigh our dwelling. And then we read the many verses of which I did not have a chance to read. Of you healing the sick, of dispossessing people of evil spirits that were tormenting them. You healed the mentally ill. You uplifted the depressed and you erased anxiety from their lives and from our lives. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. God, today we have a Goshen. We have an oasis, an Elam. We have a place to go and be refreshed and be renewed and be strengthened. Oh, we bless your name. We give you all of the praise and we give you all of the glory. We give you all of the honor. For you are great and you are greatly to be praised. Lord, in these days, help us to see the conversion of many, many people who will come to truly know you. Truly know Christ. Because you're alive and you're risen from the dead. And you're with us now. You're with your church all over the world. Many who write to me say, Pastor, listening from Uganda, listening from Pakistan listening from all these various nations, and we know that this is the last sign, that the gospel shall go out to all the world. Then the end, which is really the beginning, shall come. And we're fulfilling that prophecy right now this morning. Oh God, we bless you and we praise you, for you are definitely worthy of such praise. Whatever you're facing today in the realm of sickness, depression, anxiety, loneliness, pain, let's bring it to Christ. And just give him thanks to say, God, I'm thanking you right now. You're taking this pain out of my body. And you're healing me. And you're strengthening me based on the promises of your word, Old and New Testaments. Lord, I pray for those that are sick. The brother who wrote to me yesterday who has malaria, heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Bring the deliverance needed from physical sicknesses, from mental afflictions and oppressions and depressions. And the spiritual oppression. For you've not given unto us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We bless you and we praise you today, God. And I thank you that you're touching my body and you're touching the bodies of my friends that sit here and those that are watching and those that are listening by the way of radio. I thank you right now that you're touching and your power, which has never stopped or diminished, is falling out on your people and we can live in Goshen until finally the earth is covered with the glory of the Lord. Oh, we bless you today, Father God, and we praise you for these things. Yes, God, you are great and greatly to be praised. I bless you. Praise your name. And I truly believe that you have refreshed quite a lot of people today, not only in this sanctuary, but by way of the television and by way of the radio. I really do. And you're increasing our faith and making us bold, the righteous are bold as a lion, your word says. We bless you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, and cause us to be reminded tomorrow and the rest of this day to love you with all of the heart, 
all of the soul, all of the mind, all of the strength, and to love one another. Can you say with me today a good, loud amen? And amen. amen.